because we're such a small operation, we really knew we need to take a, a niche position in the market. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Harley, and this is the Ranch Collective Podcast, where we talk with Western industry professionals to share, educate, and give a platform to those inside the industry, and to give those who are outside of it a look at the day-to-day by having real conversations with guests. Today's guest is the founder of Grazer, Tom Cunningham, and we're chatting about who he is, how he wants to change the world with a social media app designed to give farmers, ranchers, and consumers more control over buying, selling, and processing their meats. One of the really cool things about this episode is that we get to chat about how different options work for different ranchers. Tom spends quite a bit of time walking me through the process on his small-scale operation and why they use the processes they do, and they're different from how other guests have outlined their operations to us. Next week, we will get into the processes for Grazer, and you guys, you do not want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the interview. Hey, you guys. Before we hop into the episode today, I'm going to take a quick break so I can tell you more about the other business under our company umbrella, Postage Company. Josiah and I run a photo business where we focus on Western weddings and business content shoots, but we also sell prints of our land and ranchscapes. Have you ever been hiking, camping, or even just looking around your home? You look at a view, think, wow, I wish I had a photo that could do that justice. Us too, all the time. That's why we share our Western prints. Currently, we're offering three of our favorite prints. Barbed, which is a barbed wire fence in Washoe Valley in northern Nevada, featuring a snow-capped Mount Rose in the background. Green, which is the tassels and leaves of a cornstalk bathed in the Texas sunlight. And finally, Take Life by the Horns, which features a horned bull from the Brinkman Ranch in Fresco, Texas, gazing at the camera. All of the prints are available either as a standard print, think like wall art that you'd frame, which features a deep matte surface, rich colors, pure whites, or a metal print on a brushed aluminum box that really showcases natural colors and metal textures. They're available in 12 by 18 or 20 by 24 inches. To see more information or to purchase a print, you can find the direct links in the show notes for this episode, or you can search Polish Company on Etsy. To check out other products and services offered by our business, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook under Polish Company. That's P-O-L-I-C-H Company. Well, my name's Tom Cunningham. I'm a first-generation farmer, rancher. I live with my family in Middle Tennessee, and I'm also the co-founder of an agricultural tech company called Grazer. Perfect. I'm so excited to have you on here because we have some cool things in common. <laughs> so tell me about, um, tell me about your farm with your family. So we, uh, we were living in Northern Nevada and my wife and I kind of wanted just looking for a, a different way to uh, lifestyle, raise our, raise our kids. And we started kind of getting that itch. This was about five years ago and we found middle Tennessee for its relatively inexpensive land and a uh, good climate for growing things and grass grows nine months of the year, that kind of thing. And we ended up settling on an 84 acre farm in uh, Southern middle Tennessee, just outside of Columbia, Tennessee. And uh, we now raise Wagyu Angus cross cattle uh, for sale beef, beef cattle. And, uh, my daughter has a meat goat herd and, um, sort of a quasi homestead hybrid sort of situation. Um, and we just have a good time doing it. It's a lot of, but a lot of it's focused on the, the lifestyle uh, and the, the options that it, it gives you when you're raising a family and kids and you're trying to avoid some of the 
the traps for kids these days and things like that just uh, gives them something to engage in every day, all the time. And um, we feel good about it every day. We're tired, but feel good. You know, it's funny that that's one of the very first things that comes up because I think in maybe not in every episode, and I, I may not have even published like that, those parts of the conversations, but among my guests who are parents, that almost always comes up as one of the reasons why they're so glad that's something they're doing, or that's why they're glad they live rurally or like on their homestead or their farm or their ranch or whatever, is because it gives their kids something, uh, something like real to like invest their time and energy. And not to say like social media isn't real, but it gives them like time to build like those relationships and the work ethic and everything that comes along with that type of work. Absolutely. It's very rewarding. We're very grateful for it. Um, you know, my wife and I just kind of catch ourselves here and there just uh, when our kids want nothing but to play outside and we just, uh, it, it just warms me up inside because there's, <laughs> there's so little of that happening anymore. And, um, but really we're so, we're so blessed to be able to do it. It's, it's definitely uh um, it was a lifelong dream for me to do. And I just, you know, you find your way in life and you don't always end up where you think you are. And um, I was a firefighter and we lived in a gated golf course community in Northern Nevada. You know, it wasn't, this was not like how things were going and doors opened and we were able to do it. So we're very, very grateful that we were given the opportunity to take the fork in the road. Yes. Well, I'd like to offer my firsthand congratulations on getting the hell out of Nevada. Good for you. <laughs> Glad to be, it's so much greener here. It's just crazy. You know, it's, I, I still don't get over, uh, you know, people don't necessarily realize how brown Nevada can be or places can be until you get somewhere green. You're like, this is like the polar opposite. But... <laughs> well, I was really surprised at how green Texas was because I always think of like Southwest Texas, which is desert, which is it's similar, I guess, to like more Vegasy type desert. Sure. And I was like, oh my God, it's going to be so ugly, but there's lots of trees and stuff here where I live. So I was like, oh, it's actually like really, really pretty. The Texas hill country used to be like on my top three places of wanting to end up. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Like the peach country out there. And I, I love it. I love it. I didn't end up there, but I I wouldn't have been upset if I did. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, it's beautiful and it's beautiful in a different way than where I'm from. So (laughs) are you originally from Northern Nevada? No, I'm from Northern California, from Northern Illinois, kind of moved around as a kid a little bit and um, grew up in Northern California in a farm town, came, had had some brushes with agriculture. I was in 4-H, you know, I just didn't, I I worked for a rice farmer um, growing up for a few years and uh, we grew safflower and tomatoes and rice. And it was just never my lot in life to be taking over the farm. Like some of my friends, you know, that was in their family and stuff. And uh I wanted it to be, I badly, badly wanted to, if I could have been a rice farmer in the, you know, Clusa County or Yolo County, I would have done it, but, um, it, it definitely stuck with me. Like I was kind of mentioning earlier and, uh, but you know, you just find your way. I found my way into the military and kind of a different direction. And, uh, but then again, you know, doors open, you're able to, you never know what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> well, that's funny. I remember being in college and my friend Bryce, his family has a rice farm in central California, like down near Willows. And, um, he was like going and getting his like pilot's license on the weekends. I was like, why are you getting a pilot's license? He goes, Oh, so when I move back to the farm, I can like 
fly the planes and do crop stuff on the planes. I was like, what? That's awesome. Yeah. And he was in my business management classes. He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to run the business side of our family farm. He's like, and I'm going to fly the planes over the rice fields while I do it. And I was like, that's really cool. (laughs) I have a great friend who, who does that for a living. And he was actually, I think he was like a Delta airlines pilot for years. And, uh, now he is a, uh, you know, rice, a rice chucker or whatever (laughs) you call it. And, uh, he also flies for wildland fires, but he like he likes it more than being a airline pilot. So it must be, it must be pretty fun. I, it's like way outside the purview of this podcast, but I would love <laughs> to pick a wildland firefighters like pilot brain about their job. That would be like the dream. <laughs> I would be happy to put you in contact with him. He would love to chat with you if you're ever interested. Um, yeah. We can do that. hundred percent. Yeah. So I actually, um, firefighters and wildland firefighters in particular, like have a, and have like a very special place in my heart. Um, I did, there's like crazy fires going on in New Mexico right now. I'm sure you're probably at least marginally aware. Um, and then there's been like the crazy fires in California in past years. And so I'm just like, it's weird to say like the older I get, the more invested I am in how well firefighters are doing. I lost your audio there for a second, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing profession and I definitely, uh, I can't say that I don't miss it a lot, but not in a regretful way. I mean, it's, uh, awesome. So much fun. Uh, the department I worked for was very, um, we call it all risk where we did wildland. We had an airport, we had a lake, we had structure fires, we had wildland fires, you know, all that stuff. It was a pretty amazing opportunity to get to do that for six years and then before it in the Air Force. But um, at the same time, I am uh, grateful to be present with my kids and in green grass every day, you know? Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about like what kind of what your day to day looks like on your operation at home? Yeah. So it's it's actually pretty relatively simple. We're, we we. Um, Did I, are you still there? I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. My kid, my dog was like, freaking out. I had to try. Well, that's off. fine. <laughs> and I hope I'm not messing stuff up. I just, uh, I was losing your audio for a second before. So I want to make sure you're there. Um, basically, uh, our day to day is check the water for the cows, check the water for the goats, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, we'll, we'll move or rotate the cows as necessary, uh, during, Um, the growing season. Um, It's pretty straightforward. We're all grass. We don't feed grain or finish on grain. And that's really, uh, it's not like um, I I enjoy a grain fed steak. Also, I'm, I'm not, it's not like a ideology thing for us. It's really more of an economic bottom line. We can control the costs of uh, our feed as far as grass goes generally speaking, we're, we're, we have to deal with hay costs and mineral costs. Mineral costs are negligible, um, for the year. And even if hay costs doubled, we can manage that where if we add in that big giant feed bill, um, it can throw everything off. So we sell, um, direct. We're very small. We've only actually been raising cattle for three years, maybe three and a half years, even though we've been here for five, um, 
again, first generation farm here, just kind of everything from the ground up. But uh, we're working to grow a little bit every year. And uh, we're probably halfway to what our land can handle as far as just number of animals. And uh, eventually um, we have a plan for the cattle to pay the mortgage, if you will, you know, that's kind of the goal. Excellent. So do you guys have like cow calf or do you just have like, are you buying calves every year or how so like- it's a closed, it's a closed herd and which is somewhat, uh, I don't want to say unique, but less common. Um, mm-hmm. so we raised from cradle to processor, if you will. And, uh, it, it's something because we're such a small operation, we really knew we need to take a, a niche position in the market. So um, we, we just wanted to be able to say, hey, we know everything about how this calf was treated from through the time it was in the womb to the time that it went to the processor. And uh, we know everything that it was fed and given in between. I think that puts you in like a really unique position to address some of the concerns that, you know, people may have about buying beef right now, maybe, and maybe it's not just right now. Maybe it's just, um, I'm hearing it more because social media makes everybody so accessible, but a lot of, you know, consumers don't think buying from the grocery store is safe, or they want to know what's happened to their cow. And maybe, you know, the processor doesn't know, or the butcher doesn't know, or whoever finished the cow doesn't necessarily know what happened prior to them getting it. So, um, I think that puts you in a really unique position. Yeah, there's some really, we were, I was actually, uh, at my local, my local baker the other day and we were kind of joking around and, um, she was asking questions about our, our beef and how it works. And, uh, when I explained part of that to her, she said, Oh, you know, you should label it single origin beef (laughs) because like ground beef can have at the store, at least it could have a dozen or more animals, in that one package where when you buy a quarter of a cow or a half of a steer or whatever, you're getting that one animal. And so there's, there is, there are some nuances there that do matter. Not they, they matter. And they also matter from a perception standpoint to consumers um, sometimes. Yeah. And I just want to make it it clear because I do have, um, you know, friends and listeners who, do things differently. That's not to say that like your way is necessarily better. It's just different. And it just is like, I want to piggyback on that (laughs) as well. I, I am a very open-minded free marketer mentality. Like I don't think my way is the only way at all, like at all. I'm just, it, we're, we're designing things for a lot of it has to do with bottom line. It isn't even like we're trying to be bougie or anything. Um, it's really like if, I, we chose the closed herd because we were of the breed that we were dealing with Wagyu and Angus. And, uh, if like you were mentioning, if we were buying steer calves every year, we'd be subject to the market price of that. So we have just a little more control over, uh, the inputs to our system doing it this way. It's definitely not the only way to do it. That is for sure. (laughs) Well, I just, I know that this can like the stuff that we're talking about can be like a very um, touchy and sensitive subject, maybe not necessarily for you, but certainly among, you know, people who produce beef and other um, animals for 
other animals that are consumed. Um, I know sure. that that can be like kind of touchy. So I just want to like <laughs> make that clear for anyone else. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Um, okay. So that actually puts us in a great position to talk a little bit about grazer. So can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah. So uh, grazer is an online marketplace where farmers and ranchers that raise, raise livestock can list their animals for sale uh, in quarters, halves, or holes to be sold sort of in like, I compare it to Airbnb, where if everybody comes under one umbrella, it's really easy to find. And we can get in the consumer's mind as like, that's the place to go. If you're looking for a place to stay at the beach, you don't go looking for individual houses to rent. You go to Airbnb and you see them all. And it's kind of like that for livestock and it's all derived. Uh, the search is aggregated off of local search or I'm um, sorry, location. So it's local farms, local producers within say 50, 75 miles away from you. And uh, you can purchase what, whatever a, a typical custom processor or USDA processor would process. So, I mean, it could be bison, it could be lamb, it could be pork, beef. It's not just cattle by any means. But it's not chickens yet. It is not chickens yet. No, I saw that on the website. <laughs> <laughs> we, we definitely have a grander vision, but it's, it, it, it's, uh, it is what it is for now. And when we can prove that model and, and sort of stand everything up, um, there's a lot of things, directions we could go with it. Cause, uh, our, our mission is much broader than, than just, uh, even just, just even meat per se, but you know, you gotta, you gotta focus on something and, um, start somewhere. And it seems like a good place to start is somewhere where you have your own hands in the water. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was. And that's sort of how it came to be was, um, you know, we're new to everything. And so when you have, there's, there's a blessing and a curse to being new because, well, sometimes you try to reinvent the wheel unnecessarily. You also have a fresh perspective on things that where other people might be like kind of the way they were taught already is the way they do it. And it's pretty ingrained in the, the national beef producing culture that you take your animals to auction and you know, they get shipped to Omaha or Kansas city or Missouri or wherever. And, um, as I was kind of approaching how we were going to market it and even direct marketing our beef, how much, how much red tape and challenge and cost there was there really, it, it almost made me reverse on even getting into cattle and I had already bought the cows. So it was really like too late, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I was like, man, this is going to be, this is a massive undertaking. Like, I don't want to be at, at farmer's markets three days a week when I also have like farm chores to do and yeah. other businesses to run and, you know, on and on. And so it, it really kind of made me go, gosh, there has got to be somewhere in between like all the trouble that goes through getting selling retail cuts direct from the farm and selling for a horrible price at the livestock auction, there's got to be a better way. And we're definitely not inventing something because people have bought cow shares or, or quarters for years, freezer beef. This is not a new thing. It's just sort of the way we're tying the, the producer into the processor, streamlining it for the end customer. It's just, that's sort of what we're bringing to the table is simplifying that process. Okay. So 
how, so you explained how this came about, but you mentioned also that you have a business partner. Is this like someone who like also is involved on the farm with you? Or is this like someone you just like kind of know from your community or how yeah, did the actual platform come about? Yeah. His name is Anthony Laney. And, and uh, we were actually went to church together and um, he was dropping his kid off at, at a Sunday school. And I was uh, kind of like, Hey, I got, I've got this idea. I've been brewing on trying to figure out, trying to solve my problems here. And, you know, I need someone to run it by. And I, in like 30 seconds, I gave him an elevator pitch, you know, in the doorway of the Sunday school. And he called me up. Like, I think it was like the next day. I was like, I couldn't sleep last night. We have to go talk about this. Like I need to, we need to meet up. And, and so he was really like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've failed at things before. And, you know, you know that failure is a part of success. Like you, it's okay to do that. It's going to happen. And at the same time, you know, I was like, those things are costly and painful. And you look back and you're like, how much time was invested? So it's really like, do I really want to go through that again? <laughs> you know? And I was really kind of like, not sure, but ha- having someone be like, no, Tom, we have to do this was very encouraging to me. And he was a great person to partner up with. And I was ecstatic that he was willing to um so he's much more tech savvy than i am i'm you know just a dumb farmer <laughs> you know um you know just i'm just a guy that I, I was a fireman and now i'm learning how to farm i don't have like you know the expertise in building software you know um and while he's not a software engineer he really carries the load on the tech side for us um, in sort of interfacing with the development team, et cetera. So when someone is like, if someone's a consumer and is like, okay, this is really cool. I want to go, I want to buy something off there. What is like the process from your end? So say someone's local to you and they want to buy it purchase via your app. Does it then go from whatever they buy go from you to the processor and then to them how do they know that this is like a safe option for them right so uh to kind of it, it can be very complex i'll try and make it as simple as you can but every farm is allowed to create a farm profile mm-hmm. and so when a consumer customer is shopping for say a quarter of a beef they put in their uh their zip code and it'll show what is available near them. And then they can go check out those listings individually and they can then link and see what the farm's all about. So if you have those concerns of, I want grain finished, I want grass fed and finished, I want, you know, no antibiotics, or maybe they even carry an organic certification or, you know, all these different kind of nuances, you can kind of dig deeper and really get to know what your, this farm is about. And then you can purchase a quarter half or whole of that specific animal. Like it's down to the ear tag. It's not just like a animal off that farm. And then that animal already has a processing date scheduled. That's how the listings work. And when uh, all four quarters are sold, that animal gets dropped off at the processor on its processing date. From the time that you purchase it to the time that you say actually pick it up uh, because beef tends to hang in a cooler for 12 days at the processor, maybe plus or minus. Um, You're looking at close to like three weeks to a month from the time you purchase it to the time you you have it in your possession. Um, But it's a pretty straightforward, you know, thing we always kind of joked around when you're doing the marketing market research of like, 
the avatar that, you know, who's going to buy this. And it's like soccer moms, you know, people who they could be laying in bed at night and say, Hey, you know, the freezer's running low. I'm going to go look at for my favorite local farm and grab another half of beef. And so, um, and this may be like getting too, too nuanced, but it just popped in my head because if I was like going onto this platform and I was buying it, I would want to know, like, do I get to, do I just buy like this half or am I buying like this, like set of specific cuts? Like maybe it's somebody who doesn't really know, okay, this comes from, you know, the butt, this, this comes from the rib, this comes from the chest area. Like, is that all like laid out for them or? Right. So if you buy a quarter and just the nature of how a, a side of beef breaks down, if you buy a quarter, it's the butcher's discretion. So they'll usually have a list of say of, that will tell you in advance okay. roughly how it's going to break down. Now, if you buy an entire half, then you get the custom cut sheet and that will be you'll actually speak on the phone with the meat processor and they'll kind of call you and walk you through it. I will say, you know, this is, uh, you know, we are not the grazer is not the meat processor. We're just linking farms and processors and customers together. So some will be, you know, better at it than others, as far as, you know, reaching out to you or not reaching out to you, but how, how they interface with you and how confusing or clear they're able to make it. We do have, uh, in our pipeline, we have an, a sort of a visual aid that we plan on rolling out. It's going to be a little while, but we see that as like a big hurdle could lead people and we could actually walk the customer through a like visual step-by-step choice process and take care of that step for the processor. But in the meantime, it's good old fashioned meat processor calls you up walks you down through the list. How, how thick do you want your steaks? If you, if you have this steak, then you can't have that steak, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So, cause that would be my probably biggest question, like as a consumer, and like for someone who's as involved as I am and I do not ask me anything about cuts of anything. I know that you cannot get tri-tip in the state of Texas, except for at one grocery store. <laughs> and I like pork ribs and not beef ribs. So like, that's the extent of like what I know that I love. You're ahead of, of many people, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but okay. Maybe the, the answer is different for you because you're, um, you're a producer. Can you guys just walk into a grocery store and get a tri-tip in Tennessee? No, we cannot. It's brutal. Yeah. And here, here's the best part. I, I've, I have worked with a handful of different processors and even some meat processors, which, you know, they're used to making the cuts that they're used to making here. You know, I've asked for tri-tip and thought that we were on the same page. And what I got back it's was not, not a tri-tip, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know what part of the animal this came from, but it's not a tri-tip. But you're like, um, um so we got lucky here. There's H-E-B grocery stores here have them, but there yeah. was none of those up near Dallas. There's they're in the rest of the state. They're not up near Dallas. So we couldn't find it for like the first two years we were here and we were so bummed. And we went into AGB here in Austin and we're like, that looks like a tri-tip. Like the cut looks like a tri-tip. We go over, it's labeled tri-tip and we're like, whoa, like that's my <laughs> favorite cut of beef. So in the meat section, <laughs> huh? why are those people cheering yeah. in the meat section over there? Yeah, really though. But now, and now we can find them every time we go to mid-AGB. So that's, that's nice. Cause I really missed that. 
I love H-E-B and I believe we are about to get one about 40 minutes from us. Um, I don't know how many there even are in Tennessee, but, um, or if this is the first one, but that is very encouraging to hear that. I'll have to look. Cause we've been able to find them at almost all the AGBs here in Austin. And then a couple, I found, I've been into one in San Antonio and they have one and then one down like on the border with, that has like, it's almost all like Mexican food type stuff because of yeah. where they are. We found them in there too. Yeah. So awesome. Hopefully you'll be able to find one in your coming HEB. I, I do miss tri-tip. It's been a long time since I've had one. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.